You may as well go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Luke chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. We're going we're gonna to begin our time there this morning as we bring our Advent series to a close. Focusing today on the joy of Christmas. So in past weeks, we've done hope, peace, love, and today, joy. Luke chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. We'll read that and then I'll pray. And while they, that is Mary and Joseph, were there, that is the city of Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Once again, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together and then I'll tell you what else to expect. Lord, we do this a lot. You see this all over the world in so many different locations every Sunday, sometimes on Saturday, sometimes other days. And it's so easy to go through the routines and and to not really have our hearts or minds engaged in what's about to be said and what's going on. But you can change all that in a moment. And so that's what we, we ask you to do that now. Make this, make this as meaningful as you intend for it to be, and, and help me to be faithful to you and, and also a good servant to your people this morning. We ask that in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. I was speaking with Chris DeRocco on Friday morning. We were at the Crossroads Coffee Shop over on Sems near the office, and we, we got around to the subject of fatherhood and, and what it is as, as men and as dads we should really be giving our time and energy to. I mean, when, when we think about our children's future, what are those things that, above all other things, we should be trying to provide for our children? And, and Chris actually said something that stuck with me, and I, it probably will stick with me, I want to say, for the rest of my life, and that's it's probably not an exaggeration. He posed this question, and he said, what can I give my children that nobody else in the world can give them? I mean, what can I give my children that nobody else in the world can give them? Because there are lots of important things that are good to provide for our children. For instance, we started thinking about college education and that sort of thing. You know, to be perfectly honest, one or more of our children could actually provide themselves with a college education through some combination of work, grants, scholarships. I mean, some of you, those few college students who are still here, you've done that. You're doing that. If my wife and I can provide that sort of a college education and the, the access to certain opportunities that it would provide for our children, that would be wonderful and we would love to do that. But at the end of the day, if we're honest, that's not something that only I can provide for my children. On the other hand, time with their dad. Only I can do that. 
don't think I'm blasphemous when I say this, but I want to underscore the point. I want to I show you just how much this is true. God can't do that. He's, he's given that role to me. Only I can do that for my children. An earthly, physical father they can touch and that they can spend time with in that way. Only I can do that. A, a genuine, sincere, sacrificial love for their mother. A home and a family based on the foundation of Christ and a godly marriage that they get to see day in and day out. Only I can do that. Only I can provide that for them. And the reason I, I start that way this morning by way of introduction is just to say that God as our Heavenly Father, He does the same thing. There are certain things that He goes to great lengths to to give us. Things that only He can provide. And one of those things is the joy that we're talking about this morning. The great joy of verse 10. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I want us to, to just kind of look at some of the things the Bible has to say about the nature of that joy. How it comes to us. And then finally, if you know, I, hope, I don't know how much I'll be able to get into all of it. It's very important though, you'll, and you'll tell by the time I say it, you'll say, yeah, that's pretty important. Not only the nature of this joy and how it comes to us, but what Jesus has done to secure it for us forever. So first of all, the nature of this joy spoken of in chapter 2, verse 10 of Luke. Let's look at the angel's words one more time. The first thing, when you look at it, the first thing that's absolutely clear about this joy in verse 10 is that it has everything in the world to do with this, this baby mentioned in verse 11. Did you catch that? Look at what he says. The angel comes and he says, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. And then he gives the reason for that great joy. Good news of great joy for, or because, verse 11, unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so it's very specific. This is not a joy that we can experience from the mere absence of conflict or adversity or difficulty. That's not the kind of joy that we're talking about. Though there is some joy in not always having a difficult life. That's not the joy we're speaking of here. This is not the kind of joy that you can experience in acquiring the latest gadget from Walmart on Black Friday after midnight with a bunch of other crazy people. I, I did that this year. I don't think I'll ever do it again. Unbelievable what I witnessed in that Walmart. For, for a wireless printer. I, I'm so glad I didn't try to get one of those TVs. I mean, just people knocking each other down. And you should have seen the joy but that's, that's not the kind of joy we're talking about. This, this is not the sort of joy that you can experience simply from success in the workplace or in the classroom. This is not the sort of joy that you can get from just joining the right church, however you go about defining that sort of thing. This is not the sort of joy that can be derived from simply having the family or the friendships or the fame and the fortune that so many of us dream about. Now, now, while to some degree all of those things can be good if they're enjoyed and or used in the way that God intends, the joy that we're talking about, the great joy of verse 10, is not something that can be derived from any of these things. It is the joy that is found only in being rescued by this Savior and ruled by this Lord. Joy, joy for Christ is born. As Savior and Lord. And, and it's in this rescue 
and in this being ruled by this Lord that we experience this joy, and only there. And, and here's why that poses such a challenge for many of us, if we're honest. Doesn't everything else about the world tell us that the greatest joy in this life and the path to the greatest joys in this life are actually found in being self-sufficient and self-ruled? In making sure that we never have a need that we can't meet with our own resources? In making sure that we're never in a situation where other people can tell us what to do? How many of you have kids? Your kids believe this. The greatest joy is in being self-ruled and potentially ruling others that are known as your parents. One day, some of you, you're looking at me with blank stares. You'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But this joy is not like that. It rejects that common way of thinking that the real freedom and joy is found in being self-sufficient and self-ruled. It, it comes only through being rescued First, needing to be rescued, and then finally, being ruled by another, Jesus Christ. So let me, let me ask you, most people, are, most people are comfortable with the idea of being rescued if that's necessary, right? You've heard of the recent government bailouts, that can stand as proof alone for, for the fact that people don't mind being rescued. You can say Amen. But what about ruled? Let me ask you this. Are you willing to be ruled by Jesus Christ and His Word? If not, the kind of joy we're talking about here will always escape you. It will always escape you. The nature of this joy is that it is only found in being rescued by Jesus and ruled by Jesus. Now, that's the, the nature of it. And if that's the nature of it, let's, let's go now and, and, and just talk about for a minute, how, how does it come to us? How does this joy actually come to us? Well, this was, I think this was the most interesting part of what I was studying when I was preparing for this message. Let me just show you a, a couple of things in the Bible and some other places that I think will, will drive this point home. Look for a moment at John chapter 15, verse 11. I'll give you a moment to find it, and maybe it will come up on the screen here. But John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Before He leaves the world, and He's praying to His Father right in front of His disciples, which is my proof that it's okay to pray aloud in front of other people. Because Jesus did it. So, John chapter 17, here he is praying, and in verse 13 he says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 1 Peter chapter 1, specifically verses 3, 8, and 23. Listen, listen to what Peter says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the result of that in verse 8, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and are filled with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, now receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
And what brought that about? What was the means of this being born again? God causing us to be born again. What was the agent? What did He use? Verse 23. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Are you picking up on a pattern here? Everyone, pay close attention. Because we're, we're looking like it was, it was uh, I forget that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Looking for joy in all the wrong places. Is that a country song? Oh man, that's just too many country songs are coming out in, in, in my words here. But anyway, let's talk about some different words. Now watch this. These things I speak that my joy may, may be in you. I speak these things in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. You have been born again. The result is that you rejoice with joy inexpressible, filled with glory because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Words. Words from God. That lead to joy. Words. This is, this is why you cannot give up on your Bible. I, listen. If you are serious about joy, you cannot give up on your Bible. You cannot insert as a substitute for the Word of God any other great and wonderful Christian thing. You will shrivel up and die and wonder why you cannot find the joy that you think you must have. My, my daughters, you know, different holidays come around and they, they, like, they like to extend the joy of various holidays like, like Easter, where you have the Easter egg hunt. Typically, you guys just do that around Easter time, right? Well, we just did it a couple of days ago. And my girls hid all these eggs around the house and, and, and you know, they, they, they hid them well. Kira's getting pretty good. She's almost five. And so I couldn't find this one egg, and I, and I, you know, I searched everywhere downstairs, and, and I said, did you put some upstairs? She said, no, they're all down here. And so I went back, and I was looking for it, and sure enough, right there in one of the places that I had looked, she came back and said, no, it's, it's over here, and I looked again, and there it was. Look, I, and I just say that to say, go back, go back to that same Bible. I went there, I looked, I didn't find that joy. Go back. Go back. That's where God put it. Go back. That's where he put his son. That's where you hear about his son and what he's done. Go back. Go back. Go back again. It's there. Words leading to joy. It's how it comes to us. Sure, there's more that we could say from the Bible about how this comes to us. And we'll mention some of those things as we continue. But, but for now, I want to drive that point home. Words. Don't ever underestimate the power or the importance of God's words in your life. How serious are you about your joy? People look serious when they come into the office to talk to us. and I just don't feel this thing. And they look really serious. They take time out of their day. They make sacrifices to meet. How serious are you about this joy? God, God is very serious. We'll see that in a minute. How serious are you really about your joy? Then, then let's go back. Keep coming here. Let's, let's open this book. Let's go back in. Sit with each other. When you meet each other, go back into this word. Take each other there. It's there. That, that egg was there. That joy is there. 
It's the nature of our joy. It's found in being rescued and ruled by Jesus Christ. It comes to us through the words that God has given us. The very Word of God that brings and leads to joy. And, and, and then I guess I thought that, that our, the rest of our time would be best spent if I gave you an example from my own life. How this works. Here's how this works in my own life. I, I'm just like everyone in here on one level. I don't think there's anyone in here who could say every moment of every day I'm always feeling with equal intensity this joy that Christians believe we should have. If, if that's you, go ahead and raise your hand now, but you probably, you probably don't feel that brave, do you? You're definitely outnumbered and people don't like to be outnumbered. I'm not ashamed to say that my joy is real. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm generally a pretty happy person. I think it's to be preferred than just being depressed all the time. I'm not ashamed to say that. I think God coming into your life, Christ doing what He's done for you, the Holy Spirit coming into your life, ought to fill you with the kind of joy that Peter talks about is inexpressible, filled with glory. You ought to be able at times to feel and to know the experience of saying, I don't even have... If people who win the Super Bowl can say when they're interviewed, I don't even have words to put this into... I just can't put it into words for you. That's, that's joy that's inexpressible. If you've never known that, I, I mean, I, and I don't want to put something on you that doesn't belong there, but I think that you at least have good reason to take a second look and say, have I been born again? Has God caused me to be born again to a new and living hope through the imperishable seed of the Word of God? If you've never known this, I mean, how is it possible that the greatest thing that could ever happen for anyone has happened for you and you've never known this joy? It's at least cause to go back and look. More than likely, you're just having a hard time experiencing it again or feeling it. It's there, it's real, but you, you just, you, where, where, where did it go? I don't quite feel it today. Let me, let me say this to encourage you. You remember David in Psalm 51, verse 12? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Just pray that way. I, I, my, my encouragement to you, just pray that. I, I challenge you to pray that. If that's you, and there are many of us, you're struggling today to feel that joy again, I think it's worth going after that feeling of joy. I don't really, to be honest, I don't want to talk about a cold theological reality that I can't feel. Doesn't do me any good. Doesn't do you any good. I've talked to many of you. I think God wants us to feel joy. Lord, restore unto us this morning the joy of your salvation. Renew a right spirit within us. Uphold us by a willing spirit. The nature of our joy, how it comes to us through God's words. What has Jesus done to secure this joy for us forever? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Look quickly at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And on your way there, do you know, you know why I'm doing this? I'm doing this because I, I've learned something very important. Have you ever been to a sporting event in a stadium or something? You know, maybe you've been to the Siegel Center or the Robbins Center, or whatever, whatever, just some, some stadium event. You watch Barcelona play somewhere in D.C. But in any case, if you've ever been to this stadium, and you, you've kinda, you're sitting in one section, and you're with a friend, and, and you kind of 
look across and you see somebody that you both know? You ever had that experience? One of you sees that person first and you're like, hey, hey, look, look over there, all the way over there. It's, it's Mary. Look, look. Do you see her? And the person next to you goes, no, where, 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 where do you see her? Over there, over there in, in section 16. Look, look, right over there. Do you, you see her? There she is right there. How can you miss her? Do you see her? And, and, and then you, you kind of do this thing where you go, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, section 16, right? Yeah, okay. And you don't see her. You don't see her at all. You're, you're faking it. This person next to you is full of joy because they see something you don't, and you're frustrated because you can't share in that joy because you don't see it. So you fake it. I think Christians fake joy way too often. Because they think they're supposed to have it. And they're content to lie and say, yeah, I feel this thing. I see it, I get it, but you don't get it. And and sometimes the difference between being frustrated over a lack of joy and, and faking it because you don't really have it and then actually experiencing it is seeing what you're supposed to be so excited about. I want you to see something that is exciting in the scripture that we're going to look at next. Not only in Hebrews, but also in Romans, if time permits. But Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight And sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us before you move on. God is serious about us laying aside sin in our life and wait. I I don't find that to be the case with too many Christians today. I mean, especially Christians who understand grace really well. Why don't we understand grace as well as the Bible, which still is serious about us laying aside sin? Do you know that those two things are not mutually exclusive? Grace and holiness. Am I in the right place this morning? Somebody look at me like I'm I'm speaking from the Bible here. I'm going to get you all to talk, That's, that's for sure. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us learn about grace and understand it so well that we become somewhat indifferent toward our sin. Is that what the Bible says? Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's effort, there's striving in grace. You can can go now. Looking to Jesus. See, it's not opposed to faith, to looking to Christ. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, everybody, joy set before him endured the cross. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. There there are the words again, good news, great joy. And here it is, it was for joy that Christ died. Now, here's here's what I want to say to you. It's not just his own joy. 
It's not just him going back to the Father and being reunited with the Father. Look, he had that before he came. The joy set before Christ here includes people once in bondage to sin, now free, chapter 12, verse 1, laying aside as they look to Jesus every sin and every weight that so entangles, that clings so closely, and being free. The joy of having a church that is with Him and with His Father and in the fellowship of the Spirit forever. And for the joy set before Him, He endures the cross. What was he doing up there on that tree? What, what, what is he doing? What's this innocent man doing up there? He's, he's enduring. Why? For joy. His own and ours. For joy. You better believe Jesus cares when you sit as a Christian and say, I can't experience joy. Oh, yes, he cares. Yes, he wants you to break out of that funk. Absolutely. He went through the wrath of God so that that could be different in our life. You don't have the right, if you're a Christian, to be indifferent to your lack of joy. You don't have the right. Christ died for you to to think differently and live differently. You can't just come in here and drag yourself in all the time without ever even thinking about what Christ has done for you so that these guys get up here and play and we just... Joy. Joy. It's funny, but you know what? I'm serious. I'm I'm serious. That guy who died for us deserves more. And you and I are going to have to get over ourselves. It's not right. It's just not right. So take some time. If it takes you three days, the Lord used to say, look, three days, consecrate yourself. I'm going to meet with you. You're going to come here and meet with the Lord. Take Friday. Take Saturday. Prepare your heart. That's what we all have to do. Prepare your heart so that when we come here together and God looks down and Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, when he looks here, the answer, let it be yes. Let it be yes. We're not perfect, but hey, we're, we're expecting to come here and to meet with God and to offer him praise. The sacrifice of, of praise from fruits, the fruit of lips that confess his name, we're here to give that to God. This place will be different. We're here to give that to God. Joy. There's something, there's something off when the joy is missing. And I'll tell you what fuels my joy. One of the reminders I get, Romans 8, 1 to 4. And I'm going to focus on verse 3 as we sort of begin to circle and, and think about landing the plane. Not, not quite yet. Is this okay for anybody? Give me, give me a few more minutes. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And these, you can, just, you can just let them all go. For in Christ Jesus, the Spirit, or the law of the Spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in those of us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And if you just look at verse 3, you'll see a number of things that absolutely help my heart to explode again with joy that restore to me the joy of my salvation. 
when I look at that thing that's always been there, right here in section 16, right here in Romans 8, verse 3, and I actually see it. I want you to see it too. And I don't, I don't know, Lord, Lord, help us to see it. Maybe even one or two people who have not seen it, help us to see it. Verse 3, God has done what the law could not do. God gave us His law, as good as it was, perfect. It shows us the way to live. It shows us the holiness of God. It shows us the standard that we have failed to meet. But there is something that the law could not do for us. And Romans chapter 8, verse 3 tells us that what the law could not do, God did. Listen, God's done something for you this morning. Going inside the cross and seeing what happened. Now, what did God do for us that the law could not do? The answer is at the end of the verse. He condemned sin in the flesh. Or in the sinful nature. Now, where do we find that? Point to yourself. God condemned something in you. The law could not do it. And isn't that amazing? Because how is it that the law could not condemn sin? Obviously, when we say condemn sin, we mean something more than just pointing out what is sin or pointing out what is wrong or pointing out why we deserve to be condemned. The law is perfect at that. But what it could not do is condemn sin in this way. That is to so fully and finally deal with it that it can never be brought up again against against you in God's courtroom. But what the law could not do for you, God did. How? The cross. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. That's what was happening. God was doing something for you, if you believe in Christ. And this is the part that absolutely grips my heart. Why was the law unable to do for you what it took Jesus to do? What does it say? Don't give me your own answer. What does it say? It was weakened by the, where's that? If the reason the law could not bring you to the place where we could finally say, therefore there is now no condemnation for you. If the reason that the law could not do that for you was because it was weakened by you, by the sinful nature, And if God was able to do for you what the law could not do, stick with me, then it means that God found a way to do this for you that cannot be weakened or undone or reversed by you. If the reason that the law could not bring you to the place where we can look at you and say there is now no possibility of condemnation for you, if the reason that it was unable to do that was because it was weakened by this thing in you that makes you worthy of condemnation, and if God was able to do for you what the law could not do through the death of Christ, then it means that He found a way to do it that cannot be weakened by you. I know your weaknesses. I share them. I hear them. I see them. They cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ or the power of God by which He has made you free from condemnation. We're talking about what Jesus has done to secure this joy for us forever. 
He has gone to the cross. He has taken our sins upon Himself. He carried it. He didn't drop it. He carried it all the way to that spot where He would die. He, he, let, he, he allowed, He lovingly put Himself in that place. And God poured out His wrath upon Jesus. And if you believe in Christ upon your sin, and He so fully and finally condemned your sin that He no longer has to and will not condemn you along with it. You are free if you are in Christ. And so yes, I look at my failures, I look at my shortcomings, I look at my weaknesses, I look at my successes even, I look at all these things that I once thought were important and that made me something. whether good or bad, and I realize that at the cross, they melt. They melt away at the cross. I've been rescued by Jesus Christ. I'm now ruled by His Spirit and His Word. He has gone to the cross for joy, His own and mine and yours. And nothing can take that joy away from me. In that day, you will rejoice, Jesus said. You'll have sorrow for a while, but in that day you will rejoice. And no one, no one will take your joy away from you. Jesus is coming after your sin. Lay aside every weight, every sin. Get serious about it, as serious as God. And let me, let me encourage you, if you. Suppose you're not a Christian. How do I explain this to you? Maybe you've heard in the past that, that you know, Christians are angry at sin or God is angry at sin or, or whatever the case is. You've got this picture of an angry God in your mind. If I could get you to just kind of put that aside for a second, think about this picture. God is serious about sin, and one day he promises to to violently uproot it from his world. But the Bible also presents God as a gardener. He's tending to a world and to our hearts. Chris and I were talking about this on Friday. A, a A man who is tending a garden he doesn't violently uproot weeds simply because he hates weeds. He does it because he loves beauty. He's making more room for the plants and the flowers that will bring it. That's what she's doing when she does that. Do you you get what I'm saying? It's in the way, and he's making room. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let every heart prepare him room. You've got to get sin out of the way. That is what Christ, through His Spirit, is actively doing in your heart right now. We're not putting this weight on you. We're saying that is what Christ is doing in your heart through His Spirit. Yield yourself to this Holy Spirit. Listen to that voice of conviction. Don't sidestep it. And, and if you're not a Christian, maybe today is the first day that you have a chance with clarity to hear this message and to consider what Jesus has done for you. And, I, and I, I submit to you, I say, look, don't let anything stand in your way. He didn't let anything stand in his way. He went to that cross for you. Don't let anything stand in your way as you come to that cross and receive the forgiveness and the joy that only he can offer you. And for the rest of us, if, you, if you're having a hard time remembering or feeling, restore to me, Lord, the joy of your salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the joy that we have that can't be found anywhere else. It would probably be wrong to leave here and just take it and not thank you. We we just, we thank you. I trust, I trust that something you said this morning 
will go deeply into the hearts and minds of those that you've brought here. And, uh, and the result will be joy. The great joy announced by this angel that isn't confined simply to Christmas, but, but that is actually purchased on the tree on Good Friday and, and shown to be exactly what it is on Easter Sunday. And even as that joy, Lord, is not confined to one particular season, I pray that you would help us not only to experience it, but to live in it. To live in this joy and to, to be contagious, to spread this joy to others as well through your words. We ask this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Take, please take a couple of moments to think about what you've heard and to, and to really check your own heart and to say, you know, to what extent do I feel like I'm experiencing this joy that he screamed about for 40 minutes? All right? And just quietly go to the Lord and ask him to restore it for you if that's what needs to take place and ask him to give it to you. Ask him to cause you to be born again to a new and living hope that you too might rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory if you've never yet given your life to Jesus Christ.